Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to The Progress Theory, where we discuss how to implement scientific principles to optimize human performance. On today's episode, we have Steve Griffiths, who has taken his experiences from a career in banking and trading and applied them to his ideas on developing mindset, which he now teaches to developing and elite level athletes. Steve comes highly recommended to me by close personal friends, all of which have said that working with Steve has completely changed their ideas around self-belief, intentions, trust, and worthiness. In this episode, we touch upon how our beliefs determine our intentions, and we have the ability and free will to choose what our beliefs are and how to act on them. I love this episode as it allowed me to realize just how much control we have in shaping our future. If you enjoy learning about mindset, this is the perfect episode for you. As always, follow and share The Progress Theory on Instagram and YouTube. Head to our website, theprogresstheory.com, and check out all of our other episodes. So here is Steve Griffiths. Hey, Steve. How are you? Thank you for coming on The Progress Theory. Hey, Phil. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. No, it's really good to get you on. I know we have a, a mutual friend in Lonners, and yeah, when I spoke to him about potentially getting you on this podcast, he was just like, "Absolutely." He was saying how a lot of people talk about <laughs> mindset, but yeah, if there's anyone that has changed his outlook on life, his intentions, his self belief, it's discussions with you, uh, and you know, he knows that you do quite a lot of um, consultancy work with like tennis players, for example. So I was like, well, I was incredibly curious as one, I had to meet you and two, I needed to find out more uh, about your, your work. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you. That was a good, that was a good intro. I appreciate it. Anything with Lonna's in, it's always good, isn't it? He's, he's such a great character. He's such a force of a character as well in a really good way. For anyone that is not familiar with the word Lonners, Lonners is Ben Lonergan, an SNC coach, who's the SNC coach for the GB Women's Sevens team, as uh, a mutual friend of ours. He is actually uh, episode number one of the Progress Theory. So if you want to go hear his work, definitely go back to that episode. Um, but I won't, won't spend too much on Lonners. Uh, let's uh, discuss you, Steve, because I want to know a bit more about your work. Uh, could you give me a bit of a background to yourself? Yeah, sure. I studied maths at university, maths with economics. I worked then in banking for on the trading floor for about 10 years, but longer than that, and did a master's at Imperial afterwards. I worked, I continued working for a bank until I set up my own company where I would consult for these global clients I'd speak to. And now I've created my own startup. I've been part of two accelerator programs in the Middle East that I've just finished, and we're launching ASAP. So exciting times. No, that sounds, that's what sounds wicked. I wanted to sort of delve into your background here because your background is sort of banking and trading and 
you know, this is a podcast about human performance and sports science. And I know a lot of people might think, oh, that's an interesting background. They probably expected you to have some kind of, you know, in-depth sports science background. But the more that I've taught at St. Mary's, the more I've realized, like, once you reach your third year as a student, like, you really need to start looking outside of your domain to try and find information that's going to help you progress in the direction that you want to go. And quite often... I hear of people reading books about business, about meditation, all sorts of different aspects that have really helped them in their sports science or strength and conditioning domain. And I know you've gone from banking and you're still in banking because you have your own startup, but you've also done a lot of work in other areas and used that experience in banking and taken it to explain your ideas to athletes and use them to help them reframe their mindset and improve their sporting performance. What were the key learning things from your career in banking that you, you've taken uh, forward, maybe either into your new startup or into your work with, say, the tennis players that you work with? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I find it starts a bit earlier on than that. I remember being at school. I was 14 in geography class and had a question about an angle. And I got the answer wrong by one degree. And I was like, why did you mark me down? I'm one degree out. Surely I should get the right answer. He kept some points and he was like, well, if you're one degree out over time, you can end up in a different country or a different continent. So it's really good to get the base right. And I thought that really stuck with me. But I thought I want to make sure that I get the angle of my life right. I want to make sure that I set the course of my life to be right. Because mm. over time, I could end up in a completely different place. So to me, that was an intention. I use my intentions to work out as a compass to work out which direction I want to go in. So I remember at 14 to do that. And I had to choose between science and economics. And I then projected myself into the future going, if I do science, which I love, do I want to become a doctor? It's like, maybe. I'm like, do I want to stay for five years extra? I'm like, I'm not sure. And then I thought, do I want the lifestyle of a doctor? I'm like, I'm not sure. I want to help people. I wonder if I can help people while not being a doctor. So I thought, well, I have to choose business because I, it was in my school, either economics or science. So I chose economics. And from there, I thought, how can I help clients help people in my way and just see where I can go from that? So I learned really early on to set my intentions. And then it applies to even my career, just being on the trading floor. I really had to know which direction I was going into, what my skills were, what my passions are. So I thought I quite like interacting with people. What jobs allow me to express these passions? And I thought, maybe sales. But I don't want to do sales where I'm just selling something I don't believe in. I've got to work out what I believe in. So a bank, I was like, well, what do I believe in? Now maybe I can help clients in A, B and C areas. I'm like, yeah, I could get on board with that. Find a product that matches them and speak to clients to really help them in their business. So that's, that's the approach that I took. And so it's really important to understand what natural skills you have, what natural passions you have, and then apply that to anything. That's what sports people do. They apply their creativity to tennis, to rugby, to baseball, to something. And then you just see how far you can get. A lot of people don't realize that. They say, oh, my passion is tennis. Like, no. Your passion is maybe expressing your creativity physically, your body suited to tennis. So expressing that, what you are via the sport. So it's a subtle difference, I find. Uh, that, that really resonated with me, the ideas around intentions. 
because that's a really mature way of thinking at 14 years of age. But I guess when everyone thinks back, there's always that one thing that just sort of, you know, it was like a light bulb moment and enabled you to head in the direction that you wanted. And it's quite interesting that it was a, a math issue in a classroom that has allowed you to think, okay, what I do now is going to be really important to what I do in a few years time. So I need to set my intentions correctly now. Otherwise, I'm in a few years time, I'm going to be in a position that I don't want to be in. But with, with that, it's, I'm always aware that the future, the probabilities is not set. So even yeah. if I did choose economics, and I hated it. I could have then maybe studied A-level science or did a, a bridge course, then get back into becoming a doctor. Or I could have worked in a bank for five years. And so I really hate this. Maybe I'll do a conversion degree to become a doctor. So I can always get back. Like if I'm going this way, I can always get back on track and still go that way. And so things are never permanently set. So I always have that in mind. I always remember that nothing is predetermined from I believe. I can always get back in the direction I want to go in if I'm off track. So then I just work out, am I on track or off track? How do I feel about this? Is my life going in the right direction? And so I learned that in banking quite a lot. I learned that I really had to, I really had to trust myself a lot. I had to trust the direction I was going in. I had to trust that ideas that I had when no one else could see them, that I just had to really believe in them. And so that's, even when I was 14, I remember being there, I had four people telling me, you should study science. And I had this feeling, no, I don't want to study science. I want to study economics. And it was my course tutor that said, yeah, let's even study economics. So who's a 14-year-old telling four to five adults in a room the direction they want to go in? And so I did that on the trading floor when you've got like tens or 20 people telling you, I don't believe it's going to work. You're like, well, let's see how, let's see, let's see how far I can get. I just really learned that skill. And sports people have to do it themselves. You can get your coach telling you, here's the game plan, but you're in, you're on the pitch, you're on the court, having to trust yourself in that moment to do the right thing. And if you, if you kind of relinquish that responsibility to others, you're going to doubt yourself in the key moments and then not excel. So I always saw how business and sports were really linked. But I also learned that the really important one was telling and asking are the same thing. I had a job. My job was dependent on someone else. So I said, hey, could you do this work? And they're like, mm. like well, you're, you have to. It's your job. Why aren't you doing it? And I'm like, mm, I don't know. And then I realized they've got free will. They can choose. So telling someone and asking someone is the same thing. So I'd say, hey, would you mind doing it? Because they can choose when they do it, how well they do it, how much effort they put into it. So when you see coaches telling them you must do this, the person can still choose. So they have to differentiate between that if I tell you something, I still choose whether I want to do it or not. There are consequences. If I don't do it, I might not be in the team, but I can choose how I do it. So that was a really important skill because it gives the responsibility of choice to you still. So I find a lot of athletes can kind of negate that responsibility and then they start doubting themselves, they start performing well, and it comes into a spiral. Um, so they're the two main things I thought was really important. When you describe that track that you're going on and you said that you know normally you deviate away but as long as you have the ability to move back on track it doesn't matter that you deviate away i can almost see deviating away essential because that's where you're going to make mistakes you're going to learn certain things that allow you to revert back to the track that would be really important to accelerate you in that direction and i'm guessing linked to that is that idea of 
asking and telling is the same thing because you have free will you have it must be quite liberating to know you have that ability to take the information do what they say or not like ultimately it's your choice you are responsible for the consequences of your choice but ultimately it's your choice that seems like a lot going on especially for like a young tennis player that ultimately if they feel their intentions are i want to be a grand slam champion that's the direction i want to go and they know that they're going to sort of move away from that track how do they know when to deviate when to move back to the track it seems like a like a minefield an exciting minefield but you know it's still quite complicated for someone that's still learning the ropes in the sport yeah i find that we have a really good guide and that's my emotions not many people use their emotions and we'll come on to why mindset's a bit more than positivity as well for me i have a belief i believe i can achieve anything that's a nice core belief i believe the world is fair i believe I can imprint my ideas onto the world. I believe I've got natural skills that I can apply to my sport. That's a nice core belief. And from that belief, my thoughts spring from it. Like, ah, maybe I can play professional tennis. Maybe play professional rugby. Maybe I can win a grand slam. Maybe I can become number one. Maybe I can do these things. Then your imagination kicks in and then generates an emotion for you. That feels good. I feel eager. I feel ready for the day. I feel like... I've got direction to go in. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I like to think it'll take me somewhere good. So I'm going to try. So I use my emotions as a guide to say, am I on track? Another, an opposite example would be, I believe I can be a great tennis player, but I have a conflicting belief where the world's not fair. I haven't got enough money. I'm never going to make it. So I'm just going to like zigzag across. Some days I feel great. Some days I don't feel great. Worse is when you just have an underlying belief that's quite destructive. Like, I cannot achieve anything, or I'm not worthy of my life, or I've got no ability to imprint my ideas. From that, if you then have a thought, I want to be a professional sports athlete, you think, oh, it's never going to work out for me. Why me? Why am I going to get there? And then the imagination kicks in, well, I'm not going to be able to afford a car or a house, or what kind of life will I have? I start feeling sad. And so then I use my emotions as a guide. I trace it back down to my belief. I think, oh, that doesn't sound great. So I've always thought, why not me? Remember being young, why can't I do it? You know, I don't know if I'll get there, but why can't I do it? So for me, my emotions act as a really good guide. So it helps navigate through this mindset of so many choices. And you've got to trust yourself. So I trust my emotions. I I trust when they're good and when they're bad, and and I utilize them well. So it's not as difficult a choice as it can seem. I know people are taught not to trust their emotions because they don't, some people think they're either thrust upon you from outside, look, look how you've made me react, or they're just swelling up within you that's coming from nowhere. Mm. And so I think in those times, I think if people think like that, it can be quite tough. Is it that a lot of people have a number of beliefs? Some could be seen as, I think you've described them in conversations in the past as constructive and some are destructive. And I think that links to like the constructive ones are i i have this belief that i can reach this level i can get to the grand slam and then the destructive ones are all of those threats to that i'm not good enough i don't have any money world is unfair and then you've got to use that inner emotion to try and deviate what is useful and what's not based on the constructive and destructive beliefs if i was one of your tennis players what would be your recommendations for me if I had a tendency to use my emotions to focus on the destructive beliefs. 
I add in a really important factor. I like to think that the world is a reference point, that it's, it's a point for me to look into and think, what do I want? What do I want to achieve? And so I get them to remember that. And so from this moment, you're going to decide what you can, you can achieve. That's really important. And then mindset has to be linked with more than just being positive or, or being motivated. That to mm. me is not mindset. And so when people like books on positivity have their place, they're really good, but it doesn't teach people how to deal with your anger or with your aggression or if you have violent emotional outbursts or if you're feeling sad and kind of swept under the rug, like be positive. But I remember us discussing before, I like to see our mind as a room. And in that room, you have furniture and those furnitures are beliefs. I've got a good belief, bad belief, constructive belief, destructive belief. Just because you aren't focusing on a destructive belief doesn't mean that chair isn't there. It's there, you're just not focused on it. And it can kind of creep in and then just seep into areas of your life that you might not realise. And so for me, it's really important to be constructive rather than um, positive. So I look into the world and I don't deny the fact that I might not have any money to become a great tennis player, to have a coach, to have training to have the best facilities but i start with where i am i start playing the tournaments where i am and then i work on that and then i get to the next level and the next level and the next level if i start winning my tournaments because i've got this natural ability even it could be the not lowest level the most entry level tournaments possible if i'm doing well and then people might look at you and go you know what this person's got something let's maybe sponsor you a thousand pounds to see where you can get to. So it's really important to be destructive rather than destructive and self-reflect in the contents of your own mind to then take responsibility for rearranging that furniture, changing it, upholstering it, chucking it out, replacing it with something new. Positivity doesn't always teach you that. It just teaches you to get on with it. It does seem that there's a, there's a self-development craze at the moment, I think. And maybe it's been going on yeah. for the last two or three years. And when I take a step back and look at it, it does seem like how you described it's people will watch something or, or listen to something which gives them this level of motivation. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah, I can do it. And that's only got a certain lifespan, you know, like uh, it decays and about an hour later, you're sort of like back to normal because yeah. it doesn't address all <laughs> of those issues that you've kind of described. This, I like this idea of this reference point because it allows you to think clearly and sort of ref or reflect on your emotions and the direction. Is this something we should necessarily sort of revisit regularly? As like, oh, I've gone too, too off track. I need to get back to my reference point, yeah. view my room. What beliefs do I have there? What do I need to take in? What do I need to disregard or just view objectively? You know, non-judgmentally, I think is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, and I find a lot of people like to be positive because they don't realize the world out there is a reference point. They think it's done and dusted. It's permanent. It can't change. And if you think like that, you don't think you're quite powerless in your life to change or even create the life that you want. And so having the world as a reference point is a really good base. But what people do is they, if you're then taught to be positive, if I'm standing in the rain, like, I'll oh, be positive. It's going to clear up later. I'm like, no, I hate the rain. I hate standing in the rain. Because it's reference point, I thought, what do I hate about it? I hate my hair getting wet. I don't mind that too much. My clothes, I don't mind that too much. My socks, I hate when my socks are wet. I hate 
I just hate that feeling. I'm going to buy waterproof shoes. So I, the solution is in the problem. But what, and then I, then I water that with my focus, right? I'm going to buy some waterproof shoes when I go to this store. But right now, I need to get out the rain. There's a tree there. Let me stand under there. You know, so I use that as a reference point. What a lot of people do is they can kind of look at the problem. It can kind of consume them and they just start spiraling down. Oh, it's raining. Oh, it's always going to rain. I'm always getting wet. Why are my clothes always getting wet? Oh, I've got so much washing to do when I go back. People aren't used to just bouncing off things that they don't like and then working out what they want from it. So you talk, let's just not look at the problem, just focus mm. on the positive aspects. So I find that the reference point is a really helpful thing. You can then start to use your emotions a, a bit better to then clean up this room. So who's taught to deal with their anger or their hatred? Like you can only hate things that you love. Like I hate losing this point. I hate losing this try. I hate losing a game. Oops. Reflect gently. Well, why did I lose this game? My footwork is good. My serve is good. Ah, oh, maybe I need to improve my tactics. Let me work on my tactics. But you would never get to that answer if you just pretended, oh, I played well, I'll do better next time. No, let's focus on the positives. The serve was good. It's like, where's that? That, get that? that is very helpful. But you also then need to spend time uh, looking at what you need to improve. Mm. So if I find I hate something, you can only hate something that you love. So then hatred is supposed to get you back to what you love. Same with frustration. If I feel frustrated, oh, I'm feeling really frustrated now. It's usually when all my avenues are cut off and I've only got one avenue. And it's like, well, what about these avenues? And it's like, well, they're not possible. Well, who said they're not possible? And I'm like, oh, okay. So when you expand what you believe you can do, your, your options open. And then I feel less frustrated. So I use frustration as a guide that I'm cutting options out for myself. The same when I'm being sad. When I'm feeling sad, it's like, oh, I'm projecting myself down this path that's quite destructive. Let me slow that momentum down. Take a breather. Let me go for a walk. Let me just slow it down. And then go, I'm feeling quite neutral. And then from this neutral place, I then try and regain some positive momentum, constructive momentum, and just project myself that way. Even fear is helpful. If I'm in a, from me at my level of tennis, which is very basic, if I'm about to serve and I feel a bit fearful, it can remind me that I'm about to lose this game. I need to have the extra energy from somewhere. Let me take the fear, that energy that's within the fear, and use it constructively and serve really hard. And so if you're taught to ignore your emotions, you don't get to then use the whole variety of them that's trying to help you. So I find that's really helpful. Do you have a tennis example where the athlete was always, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just staying positive, look on the bright side, things will get better. They, they focus on very few emotions to take them forward and obviously missing some objectivity, which allow them to sort of really analyze where they, yeah, would they be able to progress forward? Yeah. Do you have any like examples where actually if they used yeah. fear, uh, some anxiety, frustrations, the other emotions that you described, they'd actually find out they'd get a bit, it's like repressing part of your emotional being, which surely is not helpful. Yeah. Emotional, emotional reality. Exactly. Yeah. There's one, there's two situations. One came off course and ah, oh, I lost, but I enjoyed these aspects of the game. And you have to do that because sometimes when you just lose a match, you don't want to start spiraling. So mm. you let that be. Maybe the day after, you say, great. What you felt, what one thing do you think you've done better? And you can see that internal reflection going, actually, you know what? I could have been a bit braver in myself. And they never would have worked that out. Let's work out how you can be brave. What are you thinking in that moment 
when you feel like your serve's not going well. Well, I just feel like I'm never serving really well. Well, can you see the, how that's not really helping? And so I feel my arm gets a bit maybe uh, jittery. I was like, well, let's work on your breathing. We never would have got to that stage if they hadn't done that self-reflection. And for me, that frustrate, like the one player would smash their racket, throw their racket on the floor. That's a sign that you're kind of refresh, uh, repressing your emotions. It's like, oh, I hit the ball in there. That's okay. Oh, I lost my second serve. Oh, it's going to get better. Oh, the umpire did the wrong call. Oh, it's fine. All of a sudden, one serves out. All that expressed, repressed emotion just explodes. So when someone's shouting or being really frustrated or throwing the racket, it's a sign of all these different situations within that game or even longer that they haven't resolved. And so that's a really important sign. And then they start, then they can start spiraling or they can use it as a, as a point to say, ah, I'm sure pressing my emotions a little bit. Have you been more accepting? Double fault. That was crap. Right. I don't like that feeling. Okay. I'm going to jump more into myself. And so then you just have to, you can't deny the reality of a situation. And so sometimes being positive can, can do that. So Federer is like my favorite sports person ever. Okay, I like most sports, but Federer is Same. Federer is God. And Serena, I like um, both And I remember like seeing on, I think I was watching him on YouTube actually, and there was a, an episode where he slammed the racket on the floor. I think he, he lost a few points, slammed the racket on the floor, and the, the commentators were like, oh, that's not very much like him, and the, the crowd was booing. People expect Federer to act a certain way. His, his emotions are all in check. But now after what you've just, just described... It almost feels like actually in that situation, him slamming the racket was the right thing for him because it was letting out these frustrations. It allowed him to sort of reset a little bit to neutral. It's all right, I've got that out. I've now accepted that actually I'm really annoyed and frustrated here. Um, I can now reassess and go forward. I mean, I know there's, like you described, there's two different ways Federer in that situation could have gone, spiraled and lost or actually reset and constructively worked on where he was going wrong and, and, and won. But yeah, the the point I'm trying to make in is every time I certainly, whenever I saw it on TV, you saw someone get angry, this slam to racket, it's all bad, instantly bad. Whereas you're kind of reframing it saying, actually, this is a great opportunity for the athlete. It is if they utilize it. A lot of them don't. And so then when someone does throw that racket, it tells the opponent, ah, they mentally check, they're mentally checking out. They're viewing their game as, oh, my serve's going bad, the umpire call is wrong, the wind is wrong, or the court is un not of even service, my racket's not good, and all these things add into your game. And so it's quite hard to reconcile that mm. on a court. You have to have learned these skills off the court and even in your practice and then apply it to your practice. You can't suddenly just start learning in that moment. You've got to apply it to all aspects of your life and then recognize, oh, I'm feeling frustrated let me see how I can change this momentum. Let me slow it down. I'm still really angry. Let me just breathe more. Let me just hit some shots back in more. Even though I might lose the point, I'm slowing the momentum down. When I'm at a neutral place and I'm going this direction, I'm in my zone, I'm unstoppable. So I might just spend the game just getting back into that zone. And when I'm in that zone, I can win six games in a row. So it's, it's really worthwhile slowing trajectory down and just going back in the direction that you want oh, that's a quite an interesting comment you've said about you know this is something this is something that should be practiced so you can't just 
allow all of these situations just to occur in a game situation because it, it means you don't well, you're in a situ different situation where you can work on it so it's kind of encouraging as a coach you might think right i'm we're going to work on this today but actually i'm not going to tell him that i'm going to do this i'm going to completely make sudden changes to his training that will probably wind this person up and that ultimately is a good thing because I want to see how he or she reacts. How can we then deal with those emotions and reframe and go forward? And I have a friend who is a CrossFit athlete uh, and he'll have his training for the week sent. But then on the day of the session, or if the coach knows he's about to train at 4pm, for example, he'll get a text at like 3.30. It's like, oh, you've got to make these changes. And he's like, oh, that's going to be horrible. But sport is chaotic. So he's trying to sort of recreate that, but the chaos can allow your emotions to get out of control. So that needs to be practiced. Yeah. And like one player, he got his racket restrung and it didn't come back in time for practice. So his practice was late and then something else timing was wrong, but he'd learned to think, well, I've got to relax in this moment. I can't, I'm not going to deny my rackets aren't here, but I'm just going to wait a little bit. Maybe I'd practice my stretching or breathing. Then when the rack is here, I'm then going to do well. And because I've only got 30 minutes instead of one hour, I'm going to focus on these aspects. I'm going to then get to court. And then maybe I'm going to take one extra game just to warm up mentally and then be ready. And so then you just use the situation to your advantage. Otherwise, I don't know where it can lead. Yeah, two words that you've said quite often in this podcast so far has been trust and worthiness. Oh, really? Trust, Okay. Where have your ideas around trust and worthiness come from? Because ultimately, if someone's got certain beliefs that they can do it, one, they need to feel like they're good enough to actually achieve that for their belief to actually exist. Uh, and then when they make that step, they need to trust that they're going in the right direction, I am assuming. Yeah, could you expand on those ideas a little bit more? Yes. So I'd like to, have a, I'd like to be aware of some core beliefs because from those core beliefs, you then get beliefs that surround it, and then you get thoughts that stem from it, and then you see you, you utilize them to your advantage. So some core beliefs for me is like, am I worthy? Am I mm. worthy of my life? Do I have to justify my worthiness? That sounds quite tough. Maybe I'll just accept my worthiness. Maybe I'll just accept that I'm worthy and try and work that out along the way. Let me use that as my base. Um, am I powerful in my life? Am I powerful to, to me, power isn't controlling others because it's everyone's got free will. Um, power to me is, can I imprint my ideas onto my life experience? How powerful does that feel? If I feel that I want to hit this shot that way, I can. Or if I want to achieve this goal, I can. If I want to do this in business, I can. To me, that's kind of natural power. Um, do I trust myself? Do I trust my decisions? Do I trust I'm going in the right direction? I like to have that as a base. So for me, I like to be worthy of myself and my goals. Am I worthy enough to work in that bank? I all said, well, why not? I don't know anyone. I don't know how to get to the bank. I don't know how to apply. I don't know how to interview. I just feel like I'm allowed to do it. I feel everyone's allowed to do it. I feel everyone's allowed to go for their goals. So I'm going to use that as a base. I'm equal to everyone. I'm going to see how far I can get. So I, I had that as my base at a young age. Do I trust myself? Who are you taking yourself to America? You're never going to make it. Mm. And I was like, well, maybe, but I want to try. I will regret it if I don't do it. And so I trust myself to do that. Do I trust myself from that point? 
if I'm playing in a game and, the, and I get this feeling, hit the ball this way, do I trust that feeling to hit the ball that way? Do I trust myself to make these decisions? My coach is saying, stand, don't stand so far back. But I feel I do need to stand far back because I feel it really suits my game. Steven study science or economics. I just feel that I should study economics. I, I'd like the life it might potentially lead to. And so I have to take responsibility for my choices. So to me, responsibility comes in to the trust aspect and the trust can kind of stem from having a belief in yourself. So to me that all my beliefs kind of mix together. You can't just have one belief, one belief. Everything mixes and it creates an atmosphere for your life. And then you just, I like to think I project that into my possible future path. And then I walk upon that path. I will see the future probability for the path that I'm creating. It, it, it mixes with everyone else's. That's life. And so then I just make sure am I on the right track? Am I off the track? Am I a cooperative component to my own life? Am I being cooperative in the direction I want to go to? And so I find these constructive beliefs at least give me the chance to be a cooperative component in my own life. How can someone improve their ability to trust themselves? Does it ultimately stem from you need to feel worthy before you can trust yourself? Because if you don't feel worthy, you don't trust you could do it. Yeah, I mean, if you don't trust your mind, then I think you've got to first trust your mind. You've got to trust the contents of your mind. Otherwise, you get all these thoughts. Where do these thoughts come from? To me, thoughts don't come from anywhere. They come from my beliefs. My emotions don't come from anywhere. They come from my beliefs. The emotions have momentum. I can't slow the momentum down. It's a bit like skiing. When you're skiing downhill and you want to stop, you have intention to stop, but you slide a little bit. I can't deny the momentum of life. I can't deny the momentum of this. But I at least have a say a big say in what emotions and thoughts come up into my life. So I use that as a base. And so then because I have the ability to do that, I then trust myself. I think, oh, I'm feeling sad. That's not great. Let me see how I can change that. So to me, that trust really stems from the contents of my mind. I then take responsibility to just self-reflect. I think not many people do that. Sometimes be positive. Don't look at that chair in the room. Don't look at that light that's a bit dim. Don't look at the window that is blurred that you might need to clean. Um, so I see them in my mind as a window that I experience my life from. Is my window clean? Do I need to clean it? Is there enough light in the room? Do I need to expand the window a little bit if my window's small? So self-reflecting is really important. And the way I do it is I like to remember that things that I might think are facts are just beliefs. It's not a fact that I'm never going to make it. It's not a fact that people who, you know, get into banking are only from a certain demographic. You know, I believe that I can do this. I believe I, I can at least try it. It's not a fact that I'm not going to be a great tennis player. It's not a fact that my service isn't great. It's not a fact that I'm bad at converting. It's just a belief. I'm more interested in where the facts come from. To me, the belief creates the facts. Like if I say I won a gold medal, that's a fact, but I've had to believe in myself. I had to believe that I could do it. I had to believe I could be a great rugby player. I had to believe that I'm allowed to work on the seven circuit. I had to believe that I can get to the Olympics. I had to believe that I can train. That belief then turns into a fact. So when someone says the fact is your serve isn't good, yeah, my serve isn't good right now, but I believe it can be. Let me see how I can change that. So I'm always interested in the place where facts come from. And to me, the facts come mm -hmm. from beliefs. So I like to, I like to look at that a lot more and what's, what facts do I want to create? 
how can someone identify so for example say i have taken in facts and they have structured some of my beliefs yeah but in reality what i've assumed as fact is actually just beliefs because i've kind of made it up based on my pre-beliefs beforehand um how could i identify through a self-reflection which ones are facts but really they're actually just beliefs yeah let's clear up what facts are facts there are a few universal facts time we can't go back in time yet forward in time we're incrementally living in time space i can't be here and in japan or australia at the same time i can't be two years old and 10 years old at the same time so they're like they're facts that i accept i can't live underwater with no oxygen i can't live in space with nothing so i'll accept these facts i can't turn into a frog if i want to no matter how much i believe i'm a frog hmm. i can't be a frog so i i accept these facts so putting those aside i think everything's up i think everything else is up for grabs so i use them that as a base and so then i use my emotions and my experience as a really good base to understand do i have any conflicting beliefs do i have any limiting beliefs and so if i feel like i want to be a great sports person but who am i i don't think i can get to olympics oh, i'll never get to olympics i'm never going to be picked for the squad it's like why who told you that and they're like mm, I don't know. Hmm. so we'll have to think i didn't tell you that did your parents tell you that well maybe well you can still choose whether you believe that or not and so then that and you see them thinking going oh maybe so i use my emotions as a guide thinking oh i don't feel i can get there i don't feel frustrated when i feel frustrated i'm cutting my options off all these options i'm cutting off so I use that as a guide. I look at my life experience. I feel like I should be there. I feel like there's a lot more potential in me. I feel like my life, I wanted to be here in my life, but I feel I'm here. wonder why that is. So I use my life as an experience. I use my emotions. But also, I like to understand if I'm defensive, that's really helpful. If someone tells you, Stephen, you're a rubbish tennis player. The words don't matter so much. If I believe that and I'm reacting to it, how dare you say that? I'm really great. Don't you dare, you know, who do you think you are? If I'm reacting to that, you can only react to stuff that you believe. So in those moments, I think, ah, mm. if I really believed I was a good tennis player, like, you know what? Some days I'm not great. The days that I'm, on, I'm great in my zone, I'm unstoppable. You should watch me in those days. You can be really relaxed about things. So I use defensiveness, my emotions, the life that I'm experiencing as a guide to see, do I have any limiting, conflicting beliefs? Am I being cooperative in my own life? And so I think people expect a bit more of a complicated answer, but it can be as simple as that. Where do you want to be? How good do you mm. feel? You know, are you eager for each day? You know, does the day excite you? I think simple questions like that are really helpful. This is something that is really, really common because I can imagine a lot of people being frustrated with life in general. And the frustrations come from, having a self-belief in their own ability but they didn't achieve that oh this happened this happened this happened all of a sudden all those this happened this happened this happened are seen as facts by that person but technically it's just beliefs that they've developed themselves and ultimately the ones that make it are the ones that have just gone they've ignored those facts and they've just allowed their natural self-belief to rise to the top and kind of dominate uh, and it's allowed them to keep a bit more on track and achieve more of a potential yeah i mean the fact is i'm not part of the olympics team the fact is my serve is not great 
The fact is, I'm not working at the best bank in the world. So that's a fact. But that fact came from a belief. The belief is, ah, I'll never get to the Olympics team. I just don't feel my body type's right for rugby. Or I'm just not winning games because, you know, I just don't believe that I can express my ideas into my serve or I'm worthy of this game. And I can't work that top bank because I haven't gone to certain places and met certain people. So I'm never going to get there. And those beliefs then turn into facts. And so I'm not expecting people to deny the reality of any moment. I'm just saying, well, look to see what path kind of got you there. And can you then get back on track this way? So it's important to differentiate between those two. And then, like you said, the constructive beliefs, I I think are really helpful. Some people don't like it. Some people do look at the world and think, ah, it's unfair. Things are going on in different parts of the world. But let's change that. You know, do you believe you have the ability to change? And so it comes into this idealist, pessimist kind of view. So I believe everyone's an idealist, but it's an expression of their ideal. If I believe in an ideal and I think the world can change, that's a nice idealist thought. If I'm an idealist and I think I can't change the world, you're quite you're a frustrated idealist, you're a bit pessimist. Worse is I'm going to pursue my ideal at the cost of everything. That's not a great situation at all. So I feel everyone is ideal. It's just the pursuit of their idealness that can get them into trouble. Mm. So I always make sure that I'm, I have a nice optimistic outlook, constructive optimistic outlook, but I'm not doing it in the sense of survival of the fittest, I need to stamp over people, I need to push people out of the way, I need to control people. I always think controlling moves rocks. I get you to do this, you to do this. But if you inspire someone, I'm using my creativity to the maximum. Mm. You're using your creativity to the maximum. And that double creativeness will lead in places we don't know. So when you inspire people, you achieve more rather than controlling people. And so... It's really funny, especially in my banking, I'm controlling this team. Look at the results we achieved. Yeah, you achieved those results. What would you achieve if actually liked being here and were inspired every day? Who knows what more we could have achieved? That's a bit of a round answer, but hope it answered it. No, no, that was that was wicked. In fact, I was thinking like one of the last questions I wanted to ask was if you could consolidate your work and your ideas into three not mantras, but three pieces of advice that you'd give to someone that maybe was struggling with either the deconstructive opinions or self-beliefs that were coming their way uh, and felt that they weren't reaching their full potential. What would the three pieces of advice would you give to this person? Yeah, I have like three little mantras or sayings or phrases. I think that's quite helpful. I remind myself that there is no limit to who I am. There's no limit to my identity. There's no limit to my sense of self. That's different to my body. My body's got limitations. I have to deal with time, space, gravity, all these things. But there's no limit to my mind. So I remind myself there's no limit to my sense of self, no limit to my identity. Then I remind myself that the future is a probability. And it's probability that it's planted with my beliefs that I project into the future. Which direction am I going in? So I remind myself the future is a probability. There's no limit to my sense of self. And the second thing is, the third thing is, sorry, is the world's the reference point. It's not done and dusted. Because if I think everything's final, how can I change something that's final? How can I change something that cannot be changed? And so that's quite a powerful thought. The world's a reference point. I can bounce off it and I can see the aspects I don't like, plant this, 
find the solution and plant that on my focus. So the three things are, um, there's no limit to myself, the future's probability, and the world's a reference point. I remind myself of those things as many times as possible, especially in those situations where I feel angry, frustrated, life's unfair, things aren't going right. I, rem- I remind myself of those, of those three things. No, they're really, really good. I particularly like the last one, the world as a reference point. Um, I know because I've got two jobs, lots of research going on, lots of projects. Sometimes there's so much information coming my way that it all gets a bit muddled. And just sitting down and writing ideas out seems to be some form of me getting to that reference point. I don't think I'm doing it great, but it's, it's some variation of it. Because once I've done that, everything just seems very clear. And that's where I get my uh, motivation. That's where my sense of worthiness or self-belief is improved. It's usually after I've just sat down for half an hour and written everything out on a piece of paper that's in my head at the time. And usually what's in my head is stuff with projects that I'm working on. And because I'm working on them, I'm working on them hard and I have a lot of belief that they're going to really explode. And I want them to, but sometimes it's, (laughs) I need to make sure that level of self-belief is maintained and isn't getting muddled or, uh, yeah, muddled is probably the best word by all the other stuff that's going on as well. Yeah. Allows me to self-reflect, as you said, because I'm getting myself to just sit down and then realize actually, okay, I'm back at my reference point now. Where do I need to rearrange things to make sure I get back on track? Yeah, exactly. I think, a really another important thing is, am I being constructive component in my own life? I think that's a nice thing to always think about as well. Um, but it sounds like your method's really good. So I think a lot of people should be doing that. I probably don't do it enough. Uh, there has been times where I've done it like two days in a row and I feel great. And then Same. all of a sudden work and life just gets on top of you and you don't do it for like a week or two. And you're like, oh, wow, my it's not really a journal, but it's just like a, a little book that I write all my ideas down. It's like, oh, it's looking a bit empty at the moment clearly I need a bit more clarity on on where everything is going. Just sit down, just use that half an hour. Yeah. It's really important. Relaxing is really important. Relaxing your mind, reflecting inwards and seeing, okay, where do I want to go from here? Not enough people do that. I factor in relaxing within my day because I realize how Mm. it's important. Relaxing kind of clears the window of my mind. I don't want mine to be cluttered. I don't want it to be like just foggy. And so relaxing is really important to me because it means I can view myself and the world a bit more Mm. neutrally, at least, and then go from there. Yeah. That's wicked that you structure it into your day. It's so easy not to, isn't it? I realize how important it is. If anything, it's the most important thing for me. Mm. I always want to make sure my lens is clean. As a final question, if you could pick anyone to be a guest on the progress theory, who would you choose? And it doesn't have to be in the area of mindset and self-belief. It could be any particular area. Who would you have as a guest? I like Tom Mitchell from England Sevens, GB Sevens. Um, he's great on the mindset yeah. stuff. He applies it physically to sport. And he is really on top of this. He's the captain. Yeah, 
I think he's he, he'll be great to have. No, definitely. I'll have to have to speak to Lonas. We will speak to him after this. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. I have to speak to Lonas if you can hook up again. Oh yeah, I get Ben to do it. Ben can Ben can add yeah. some value. I know they've got like a million and one different camps going on at the moment because obviously everything's been sort of condensed because they're training up for Tokyo at the moment. But uh, hopefully in the near future, Tom, if you're listening. Uh, we'd love to get you on the progress theory. Perfect. If anyone wants to learn a bit more about your ideas, how can they uh, either get in contact with you? I know you have a book out on Amazon, which I've purchased, and I definitely recommend everyone uh, getting hold of. It's great. Uh, anything you want to sort of promote um, of your ideas? I'm happy. If you want to reach out, they can reach out via you, and we can we can speak that way. Brilliant. Cool. Well, that was a great episode. I've learned so much and. I'm going to have to go structure the rest of my day to make sure I get that half an hour in now. So, <laughs> Steve, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. Definitely. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Steve, for coming on to The Progress Theory and talking about his ideas on mindset. Mindset is a topic that is incredibly popular at the moment and can often feel diluted. However, when Steve talks about his ideas around beliefs, worthiness and self-reflection everything becomes clearer and just feels so simple now i just wanted to provide some final thoughts on some key areas from the podcast which really stood out for me firstly i love this idea of having a reference point it is the perfect opportunity to self-reflect on your beliefs and provide clarity around what your beliefs are and how you have the choice to impose your beliefs onto your experience I also liked how Steve provided clarity around how we have a, a tendency to see deconstructive beliefs as facts, which stops us acting on them appropriately. It's crazy to think of all that untapped potential in the world, just because people saw deconstructive beliefs as facts, when in reality, it's just their perception. And perceptions can change, but it is up to you. And finally, how asking and telling are the same thing. I've never actually heard it framed in that way before. And when you do, it just highlights how much free will we actually have. So use it wisely. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and it has sparked some creativity around your own ideas on mindset. Please follow at The Progress Theory on Instagram and YouTube and share this episode on your Insta stories. Also, head to our website, theprogresstheory.com and listen to our other episodes. We will see you in the next one.